This seems uh, to be for me just uh, uh, maxim, a maxim, a truth in life. We have a built-in desire and appreciation for fairness. Of, uh, as, as a child, I can remember just always being obsessed with fairness, and though I don't articulate that or speak that as much, maybe uh, as in inappropriate ways, uh, we still, I still have that inborn, innate desire, interest in, and appreciation for fairness. But some things in life are not fair. For example, for example, the best tasting foods are often not good for you, which just doesn't seem fair or right. <laughs> Traffic citation fines that are ridiculously high are not fair. I know that from recent experience. <laughs> Books regularly are judged by their covers. Social scientists tell us that attractive people are often considered smarter, nicer, and more moral, which is kind of ridiculous, than less attractive people. Tall people are chosen, chosen to be CEOs seven times more often than people who are not tall. Hard work doesn't always pay off. Some people smoke their entire lives and still live to be 100. While other people never smoke, always eat well, exercise regularly, get enough sleep, and get cancer at a young age. On a somewhat lighter note, something else that's unfair is that when you say something that everyone is thinking, but you get labeled as the mean person. And finally, sometimes the NBA team in the lottery with the worst statistical chance of getting the number one draft choice ends up getting the number one draft choice, as was the case 20 years ago when the San Antonio Spurs <laughs> got the number one draft choice, picked Tim Duncan, and began a 20-year run as the model franchise in the NBA. Let's sit on that one for a while. <laughs> we have a built-in desire for fairness, but some things in life aren't fair. Jesus knew this. He told a story about it, which we're going to read in a moment. But first, I want to review a little bit of what we've talked about the last three weeks, the kingdom of heaven or the kingdom of God. You know by now that in the Gospels, the thing that Jesus talked about more than any other thing more than anything else, was the kingdom of God or the kingdom of heaven in Matthew's gospel. By far, Jesus was immensely interested in this thing he called the kingdom of God. He wanted his disciples, his followers, his students, and all of those people around him, really everyone, to understand and to have a grasp of this thing that he called the kingdom of God. Therefore, it's important that we understand the kingdom as best we can, what the kingdom is and what the kingdom is not. We've been reading from the Gospel of Matthew. In the Gospel of Matthew, you now know that Jesus most often refers to this thing called the kingdom of heaven rather than the kingdom of God. And he meant, and he meant uh, when he says the kingdom of God in Matthew's Gospel, he means the kingdom of God as we read it in the rest of the scriptures. So kingdom of heaven equals kingdom of God. The kingdom of heaven equals the kingdom of God. The kingdom of heaven does not equal heaven. 
When we talk about heaven, when we mean heaven, Jesus is talking about something else when he says the kingdom of heaven. Similarly, when Jesus says the kingdom of God, he's not talking about what we think about when we think of or we say heaven. So the kingdom of heaven is the same as the kingdom of God. The phrase the kingdom of heaven does not equal what we mean when we think of heaven. And the kingdom of God also does not equal heaven. In addition, we've learned over the last three weeks that the kingdom of heaven or the kingdom of God is not Israel, the United States, the church, a physical or geographic region up there, or a strictly future reality. In contrast, or rather, we have also learned over the last three weeks that the kingdom of heaven or the kingdom of God is the authority of God to reign, the rule of God in people's lives, the reality in which what God wills is done. The people themselves over whom God is ruling or rules, that the kingdom of God is dynamic. We have talked about it is coming, it is advancing, it is approaching, it is changing things. And finally, that it is all about the king. And this kingdom we have learned and talked about is available and it is accessible to us today. And in fact, it is more available and more accessible to us today since and because Jesus came. Because he came among us, because he dwelt among us, and because through his spirit he is still very much present with us. And this kingdom, as Jesus said, is near. He talks about the kingdom being among us. And he talks about the kingdom of God even being in us. Which means there are significant implications for us, therefore, in our own lives, in the lives of our family, our neighbors, our friends, our communities, and our world. There are significant implications of the reality and the presence and the availability and the accessibility, according to Jesus and through Jesus, of this kingdom among us. So this morning we're going to look at another of the stories Jesus tells about the kingdom, something Jesus said the kingdom of God is like, but before we read the scriptures again, let me pray one more time. God, as we always pray and we sincerely mean, open our eyes to the truth of your word. Help us to see, hear, receive, and appropriate By your grace, help us to embrace and cling to and feed off of and be nourished by and in your word. I pray and ask that as my words are true to your word, that they be taken to heart. If my words in any way stray, deviate, or are inconsistent with your word, may they be passed over, forgotten. We pray in Christ the Lord. Amen. So reading this morning from the 20th chapter of the Gospel of Matthew, this is Jesus speaking. Listen closely, this is the Word of God. The kingdom of heaven is like a landowner who went out early in the morning to hire workers for his vineyard. He agreed to pay them a denarius for the day and sent them into his vineyard. A denarius, if you don't know, was the standard wage or pay for a worker for one day's worth of work. So nothing uncommon or abnormal about this so far. About nine in the morning, the landowner went out and saw others standing in the marketplace doing nothing. He told them, you also go work in my vineyard and I will pay you whatever is right. Whatever is right. Leaves it a little open-ended, but everyone's kind of functioning on trust here. So they went. 
He went out again about noon and about three in the afternoon and did the same thing. About five in the afternoon, he went out again and found still others standing around. He asked them, why have you been standing here all day long doing nothing? Because no one has hired us, they answered. He said to them, you also go and work in my vineyard. Must have had a really big vineyard. When evening came, the owner of the vineyard said to his foreman, call the workers and pay them their wages, beginning with the last ones hired. In other words, the ones hired at five o'clock and going on to the first backwards. The workers who were hired about five in the afternoon came and each received a denarius. Wow. So when they came to, when those came who were hired first, they expected to receive more. But each one of them also received a denarius. When they received it, they began to grumble, 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 grumble. Recollections of the Jews in the desert against the landowner. These who were hired last worked only one hour, they said. And you have made them equal to us who have borne the burden of the work and the heat of the day. But he answered one of them, I'm not being unfair to you, friend. Didn't you agree to work for a denarius? Take your pay and go. I want to give to the one who was hired last the same as I gave you. Don't I have the right to do what I want with my own money? Or are you envious that I am so generous? Or are you envious that I am so generous? Are you upset because you don't think I'm fair? So I was sitting in the stands at a high school soccer game on Friday evening, as I often do, having the experience that seems to always, that I seem to always have when sitting in the stands of a youth soccer game or on the sidelines. There are almost always some parents and sometimes non-parents who are also sitting in the stands or on the sidelines and who are somewhere between complaining about the referee or publicly criticizing the referee or all out lambasting the referee as incompetent, as blind, as a doofus, as unqualified, as lacking sound judgment, as having a comp compromised character, as devoid of moral fiber, as being one-sided, as being unfair. Have you ever been in a game like that? That's weird. And, inev and, in and inevitably, the parents or the grandparents or the friends of the alumni who, by the way, know all of the rules of soccer inside and out, including the most specific nuances of FIFA's laws of the game, including the updates for 2019 and 20, and including all of the nuances that the high schools don't embrace, having their own rules in certain places. Inevitably, inevitably, these people, parents, grandparents, alumni, friends, are never wrong, nor are they ever unfair in their judgment or their perspective on the way they see things, never because it's the referee who's not fair, who is giving them through his calls and decisions not what they want or what they feel is rightly theirs, what is fair. And every time I go to one of these soccer games and sit there and hear the people behind me and to the right and to the left, and next to me, the woman I have my arm around. 
No, I'm kidding. Inevitably, these people are, uh, who are making all the noise at the referee are the parents, the grandparents, the alumni, the friends, the supporters of the team that is losing at the, at the present time. And so none of these folks in the stands are ever wrong, nor are they ever unfair in their judgment, their perspective, or the way they see something. Never, because again, it's the referee who's always unfair in their estimation, maybe in our estimation. Whenever there's a 50-50 call in soccer, and there are many of those on the referee's part, we always expect or demand that the call goes our way. That would be fair. And so maybe it's not the referee who's biased or unfair, but us down to our core. Well, Jesus, uh, again, wanting his students to understand and everyone else who's listening to understand how reality is, to be able to step back and see how reality is, how they are, how God is, and how his kingdom is, tells them another story, this time about a landowner who has a bunch of work to be done in his vineyard. And so he hires people at 6 a.m., 9 a.m., noon, 5 p.m., 3 p.m., 5 p.m., all along the way, and at the end of the day, out of his abundance, out of his abundance and seemingly unlimited resources, he has the audacity to pay them all the same thing, to pay them all the same thing, or to give them all the same thing. And to some of the workers, and particularly those who understand the world and their lives and reality, primarily in terms of you get what you earn, you get what you deserve, what you have, you have earned, obtained, merited, gotten, achieved, all on your own. To those workers in particular, the landowner's actions seemed downright unfair. It didn't matter that the landowner gave them work to do in the first place. It didn't matter that apart from the landowner, they wouldn't have any work at all. It didn't matter that apart from the landowner, they would have been unemployed and without means at least that day. Are you with me on this? They too, even and including those who had worked the longest and worked the hardest, were also recipients of grace. They didn't understand it that way because they'd worked a full day and they'd gone through the heat of the day. But they too, even those who were hired and given an agreement from the beginning of the day on, were recipients of grace. Because apart from the landowner, apart from his resources, apart from his abundance, apart from him going to them, they have nothing. And this, Jesus said, is what the kingdom of heaven is like. It is populated with people who are all recipients. Yes, some have worked longer, some have worked harder. Some may have worked smarter, but they are all recipients. And so when they look at each other, which is what we human beings do, 
when they look at each other and when they compare themselves to one another, they need to be reminded that there is only one kind of person in the kingdom. And that is people who have first been given. It is one of the things that everyone in the kingdom has in common. Everyone. And the second thing Jesus' story tells us about the kingdom is, is, is that it is governed by a king who simply isn't fair. As much as we want and hope and expect that the king will be fair in our understanding of the word fair and of the world that we want to be fair, the king simply isn't fair. But we, like the riled up spectators in the stands at those soccer games, we want fair, especially as we perceive it, especially as, or from our own perspective, especially as fairness works in our favor, especially as it ends with us on top, with us as the winners, all the while failing to see that in the kingdom of heaven, everyone is a winner or everyone is taken care of, everyone has enough. So we've got to go back and remember the things that we talked about the kingdom is and the kingdom isn't. We long for, we talk about, we like the kingdom of heaven, but everyone in the kingdom has enough. Everyone is a recipient. Everyone is provided for by the king. And everyone is given more than they deserve. In the words of Dallas Willard, the kingdom of God runs on grace. It's a short quote on the front of our bulletin this morning, but I like it because it's like the fuel that the kingdom runs on. Our cars, our automobiles need some kind of fuel, gasoline or electricity or battery power. The kingdom of God just runs on grace, which is God's initiative filling our need, providing for us, giving to us, apart from our merit or deserving. The kingdom of God runs on grace. Last Sunday we read and talked about Jesus' parable of the merciful king and the, unver- and, the, and the unmerciful servant. We were reminded and we understood Jesus to be saying that the kingdom of heaven or the kingdom of God, which is available and accessible to us today, here, is not only about a king who has mercy on a servant who can't pay his debt, but it was also and just as much about servants having mercy on one another. And a person cannot participate in, live in, dwell in, experience, enjoy the kingdom of heaven by only receiving mercy or forgiveness of debt from the king. Rather, they can only receive that, participate in that, enjoy that, experience that, be citizens of the kingdom of heaven when they too, having received mercy, dispense mercy to others, to all others, and even to the degree and with the abundance that they have received mercy. Similarly, in this parable of Jesus, of the workers in the vineyard, the king is really generous The king is really good and he has abundant resources and he's really generous 
to the point of being unfair with those resources. And part of Jesus' point in this parable also is that you can't experience the kingdom that we talk about and that we long for and that Jesus says is accessible without understanding that we all are recipients of God's grace. All of us are recipients of God's grace. None of us have earned it or merited it, and none of us are any better than one another. And so we have no demand on fairness. And so maybe it's religion that we're more interested in than the kingdom of God if we are obsessed with getting fairness in as much as it benefits us. Are you with me? And if you're like me, that's always your first reaction. Is that fair for me and to my benefit? And Jesus asks us to look at everything differently. His kingdom is upside down. His kingdom is available. His kingdom is accessible. I I sometimes live only outwardly. Try to follow the rules, participate in religion, go to church, do religion as if we're animals, as if there is no reality beyond this until we get to heaven, until we die and these bodies are gone and they put us in a box and stick us in the ground. But Jesus says that this kingdom of with which he is obsessed, a reality in which mercy flows and grace flows and unfairness and fairness are redefined is available and not only among us and in our hearts, but also in the world. If you get the Thursday call, I quoted R.C. Sproul this week in talking about the kingdom. And he says, the kingdom only becomes visible through citizens of the kingdom, seeking God's kingdom. Seeking to live it, experience it, know it. It is then that the kingdom becomes visible and tangible to the world and to us. There is another reality besides what we see, feel, touch, and many of us go through. Jesus calls it the kingdom, God's rule and God's reality and God's reigning in our lives and in the church and even in the world. And it is this that he desires to see come. This that he not created in his coming, but ushered in and made more visible and makes more accessible to us. Mm. May we learn from Jesus about his kingdom, seek it, embrace it, and in doing so, enjoy it. Let's pray. Forgive my and our obsession sometimes, God, with fairness. Forgetting what we think we deserve, what we have earned, what we have merited, what is rightly ours as compared to other people.
forgive us. And don't only forgive us, but help us through your grace on which your kingdom runs to see and understand and to live in the kingdom as Jesus described it. In the mercy of the king, in the grace of the landowner. And help us to be agents of and dispensers of your mercy, your grace with our loud and obnoxious neighbors, with the people around us who don't deserve it, with and toward and for those who have come late, those who don't work as hard, those who haven't, like us, earned it. Help us, heal us, draw us more and more into your kingdom of goodness, your kingdom of love forever and today. Amen.